Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. O Lord my God, Thou searchest me. My heart and mind are known to Thee. Nothing is hidden from thy eyes. When I sit down and when I rise, and from afar thou art discerning my thoughts and hopes, my secret yearning. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. <clears throat> I'd like to welcome you all to our Perseverance Conversation. It's always great to be with you. And <clears throat> as always, we'd like to start off our conversation by inviting Mary to be with us. Mary has many, many wonderful titles. Mary is the Mother of God. Mary is the mother of the church. Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. Also, in the Hail Holy Queen, we cry out to Mary that Mary is our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's say the prayer that Mary loves most. And that is the Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now let's uh, invite our spiritual director to be with us. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. Holy Spirit is also known as the Gift of Gifts. The Holy Spirit is also the sweet guest of our souls. Holy Spirit is also our Sanctifier. Holy Spirit is also our consoler. The Holy Spirit is also our con- our counselor. Holy Spirit is also in the words of St. Paul in the Rome his letter to the Romans, he's the interior master. Why? Because St. Paul reminds us that we don't know how to pray if we ought. So we ask the Holy Spirit to come to our aid. With those ineffable groans so that we can say, Abba, which means Father or Daddy. So let's pray the prayer 
the traditional prayer to the Holy Spirit together. And that... Excuse me. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. And enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. Thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the way of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael, pray for us. St. Gabriel, pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, Pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska. Pray for us. All God's angels and saints. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. So my friends, as always, I will promise to pray for you in the Mass I'll be celebrating this evening. And I'd like to place all of you on the altar in what I like to call the Opus Dei, the work of God. The greatest of all prayers in the world is the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. In the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, we we offer to God the Father Jesus Christ, the spotless victim, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to to give great honor and glory to God, but also for our our own sanctification, our own sanctification. So I'd like to pray that, yes, that all of us would have an ardent desire to become saints. As Jesus says, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. My second intention would be, I'd like to pray for your family and your family members. I'd like to pray in a special way for your children as well as your teenagers. Yesterday in the confirmation class, I was able to give a talk on the real danger of this sexual identity crisis that's being promoted in the school system. That children and teenagers are told that they can choose their own sexual identity. So I gave our teenagers, a big group of them, a talk on the whole meaning of being a human person, created in the image and likeness of God. That God created man and woman, Adam and Eve. Trying to teach our young people that there's a lot of lies out there today as to where we came from, who we are, what is our goal, what is the purpose in our life. So I'd like to pray for all of you and your young ones that they would not be deceived into believing that one's sexual identity is a social construct. It's a subjective decision of an individual that your son or daughter can go to a hospital and have a an operation to change 
his what he thinks to be his sexuality. So it's really incumbent upon you working with us as priests to help your children and teenagers not to succumb to this whirlwind of confusion that is being taught in many academic environments. So let's work together to try to save your children as well as your teenagers. The last intention would be that all of you, myself included, would have an ardent, yearning, longing desire to go deeper in our prayer life. To motivate you, I'd like to just quote a biblical verse to motivate us to real, a real longing for a deeper prayer life. And it's Psalm 41, verse 1. Psalm 41, verse 1 is the following. As the deer yearns for running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord, my God. As the deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord, my God. So, my friends, what I'd like to do today with you in our conversation is we had a very good conversation yesterday taken from the Gospel which Jesus clarifies the fourth commandment, which would be honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. So I'd like to build upon that. I felt that um, I only gave you about half of the picture. So let's... uh, Jesus yesterday was clarifying to the elders that they misinterpreted the law of Moses, the law of Corbin, which means I don't have to give any money and support to my parents. I can have it myself and, and give to the church. And Jesus clarifies that, basically saying that we have to have honor and respect for our parents. That is the that is the first that is the fourth commandment. So I'd like to summarize what we said yes and build upon it. Now the fourth commandment honor your father and your mother <coughs> has uh, two different dimensions. Two different dimensions. And it's the obligation that children have toward their parents. Then it's the obligation that parents have toward their children. Yesterday I was trying to build upon the first dimension, the obligation that children have toward their parents. And... The obligation would be to love one's parents, to respect one's parents, and to obey one's parents. There's focusing a lot upon the importance of learning that the importance of obeying. We live in a society that in general, does not want to obey. Obey civil laws, obey academic laws, obey church laws. Obedience is not the strong virtue 
in the United States today. In a certain sense, everyone wants to do his own thing. So I'd like to uh, start off by telling you a story, a personal anecdote on the damage of disobedience, but also the value of obedience. And it's the following. My dad's youngest sister and her husband died when they were in their early 40s. And they left four children. My father thought that he might adopt these four children because they had no parents. But what was very important is that they obey. So the oldest of them living in the Broom household was not accustomed to obeying and my father as well as my mother insisted that he had to obey. But he was insubordinate. He wouldn't submit to the school regiment, and the rules of the house. So being an adult, 18 years of age, my father said, well, if you're not going to obey the rules of the house, then you're going to have to leave. So he left. And what happened was, having no discipline, having little economic support, he ended up in in the streets in the Detroit, Chicago area. In which he was drinking and giving in to drugs. So my father sought him out and said, look, You have this option. You can live in the streets. That will be your lifestyle. You'll just be homeless. Beggar on the street. Or if you like, I will see if I can get you into a good Catholic school. Franciscan University. However, under this condition, you're going to have to obey me. You're going to have to be. You're going to have to give up drinking, and you have to give up your drugs. You have to obey those rules. <clears throat> but I'll support you. And my father spoke to the president of Steubenville, asking if he could receive into the university his nephew who had these problems. Give him a chance. So, my dad's nephew, who would be my cousin, after a long battle, decided that he would try, he would try the university life, which entailed giving up his drinking and his drugs. There was a powerful grace of conversion. He was able to give up the drinking and the drugs, applied himself to his studies. What normally took three years, he rather four years, he got done in four in, in three years. He graduated, got his university degree, was able to get good work fell in love with his future wife, got married in the church, and now raising a family. I like to point out that story, my friends, 
because you see the fruit of disobedience was this young man walking the streets of Detroit and Chicago aimless with no purpose disoriented becoming a slave to his lower passions but once he decided to submit to lawful authority and obedience then he's able to apply himself to study he's able to get good grades he's able to graduate he was able to get his degree and find work and marry and raise a family. So I'm trying to point out today is I'm explaining once again the fourth commandment because it's so important and I feel I didn't finish my message yesterday. So children have the obligation to love their parents, to respect their parents and to obey their parents. And if not when they've arrived at the age of the adulthood, then they can leave and they can decide upon their own lifestyle. All right. So the importance of obeying. Said in our family, my mom and dad had two basic rules. First is not to lie. The second would be to obey authority. Because if everyone is lying, you can't trust anyone. And there's no obedience to authority, there's going to be anarchy and confusion. Those are two good rules. They said yesterday, the one occasion my father said, I want you to do that. I said, why? And he said, because I told you. I told you to. That's enough. Someone came from another country and said, how interesting it is in the United States how the parents obey their children shouldn't be the parents obeying the children, or rather the children obeying the parents. I'd like to build upon this now. What happens then when the parents get old, they become fragile, they have sicknesses. They can't fend for themselves. Then, my friends, it's incumbent upon the children to support and to provide for their elderly parents. Materially, economically, but especially spiritually. I repeat, economically, materially, but especially spiritually. <clears throat> Tell you another personal anecdote. The end of my father's life died about five and a half years ago. His health declined very quickly. My mother, aware of this, went out of her way to fetch a priest. And this is New Hampshire where you don't have as many priests available as in Los Angeles and New York and other, other big cities. So the priest was able to come to the house and give my father the, the last the three last sacraments, which would be confession, the anointing of the sick, and then Holy Communion. The following day, he got worse, and my mother gave him communion 
he was rushed to the hospital and within about two hours he passed away. So what I'm really pointing out there is that the latter stages of one's life to procure especially that your loved ones are able to receive the benefit of the sacraments. This would be the ideal. <coughs> the ideal would be <coughs> to receive the three sacraments. The three sacraments, the continual rite of the three sacraments, and then the apostolic pardon. Let me explain this to you. All of what I'm explaining today falls under the category of the fourth commandment, which would be honor your father and your mother. That includes and entails your mother and your father when they're up in years. You want to make sure that they can make a good confession. It wouldn't be a bad idea to help them to make a general confession to confess everything, to get everything out. Receive absolution. Then the next step in the continual rite of the sacraments would be that of the anointing of the sick. That sacrament gives the, those who are elderly and sick strength to, to be able to carry the cross and hope and trust in Jesus Christ and the ability to unite their suffering to the suffering and the cross of Christ the Redeemer. And then the ability to be able to receive Holy Communion. Holy Communion. The last communion is called viaticum, which means food or bread for the journey. Then the priest can give what is called the apostolic pardon. <coughs> it's important that you understand what is this idea of the apostolic apostolic pardon. Apostolic pardon. The apostolic pardon would be after receiving these sacraments, confession, anointing, and communion. But really, once the anointing is given, the priest gives apostolic pardon. The apostolic pardon is such a grace that it confers, my friends, a plenary indulgence. Now, there is what is called partial indulgence, but also there's the plenary indulgence. The plenary indulgence means that if this person receives these sacraments, not only are sins forgiven, but the temporal punishment of these sins are forgiven. So I'd like to develop this theme of helping out children being present to their elderly parents. And once again, I'd like to tell you a, a personal anecdote highlighting the society in which we live and our, our, our duty as children to help our parents when they're up in years, they're elderly, they're sickly, <clears throat> and abandoned by many. When I started out the university, uh, I went to Villanova University in Philadelphia, which is an Augustinian Catholic college. I was there the year after Roe vs. Wade was legalized. And our university set up a pro-life movement 
which had which had two dimensions. One department was to visit the high schools and speak to the young people about the evil of abortion. This was within a year and a half after Roe vs. Wade. Well, then there was another committee. It was called the Special Projects Committee, and I was elected as the president of it. It was designed to visit the poor, the orphans, prisons, but especially to visit, my friends, especially to visit nursing homes. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, on the on the main line of Philadelphia, Lancaster Avenue, there was a lot of a lot of nursing homes. Rosemont, Bryn Mawr, Haverford, Ardford, Ardmore, the cities leading up to the city of Philadelphia. And I would go with a team of young men and women and they would be bring a guitar, they would sing, we'd bring some snacks, and basically we'd be there to accompany the elderly. It was something very sad, but something very happy. Sad because many of these older people, and these were elderly people that came from <clears throat> affluent, pretty well-off families. They were left there in the nursing home and often abandoned by their own children. So we would go there to sing and to give them hope. That's right. To sing and to give them hope. And they really looked forward to our coming. Singing, talking, sitting next to them, praying with them, having a snack with them. This made their day. So I'd like to mention one of the modern heresies that militates against the elderly, and this really breaks the fourth commandment, is the following. Is the following. It's a big word. But I'll explain what it means. It's utilitarianism. Maybe you've never heard that word before, utilitarianism. What is utilitarianism, my friends? It was a philosophy and political system that was set up by John Stuart Mill, Jeremy Bentham. They are political philosophers of the 19th century. And basically what they proposed was that the person, the human person has value. The human person has value in as much as he is economically productive. I repeat, the human person has value in as much as he's economically productive. So the logical conclusion is the more that you make money, the more valuable you are. So if you're an elderly person, you can no longer work and you're going to be on dialysis or some type of machine. You're seen as a burden to society. Or worse yet, a woman goes and has a pregnancy test and recognizes that the child within her womb is a Down's child. 
I don't know the exact per- percentages, but I think it's like 90% of women with those Downs children have recourse to an abortion. Once again, my friends, I'm talking about <coughs> the whole concept of utilitarianism. Whereas the elderly, the afflicted, the suffering have innate value. So let me tell you another anecdote. What I'm trying to explain today in a much more extensive way is the fourth commandment, which is to honor your father and your mother. The fourth commandment entails love for one's parents obedience to one's parents, respect for one's parents, honoring one's parents. And this includes not simply your parents when you're a little little child or a teenager, but your parents even when they're elderly. And we have to understand the idea of utilitarianism. This false philosophy of utilitarianism which says you you have value in as much as you're economically productive. It's, it's diametrically opposed. Diametrically opposed to the teaching of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ. How often do we see Jesus Christ going out of the way <coughs> to heal a leper, a blind person, a deaf person, a mute, per- a mute person. There, there at Villanova in the year 1976, after I'd finished my second year, once again I'd like to tell this story related to the value of the human person, the value of mom and dad when they're up in years or they're infirm or they've had an accident. And this is what happened. Of August of 1976, do you remember where you were at? Well, my parents lived in Massachusetts and... um, my spiritual director and a professor said, I'd really like you to come to Philadelphia for the first week of August because you have the Eucharistic Congress. That's right. The Eucharistic Congress was taking place in Philadelphia in 1976. And the theme song was, You satisfy the hungry hearts with gift of finest love. Come, give to us, O saving Lord, the bread of life to eat. As when the shepherd calls his sheep, they know and hear his voice. So when you call your children, Lord, they follow and rejoice. You. So that was the, the theme from which you have that beautiful Eucharistic hymn, which I'm I just sang one verse to you. But when I went to that Eucharistic Congress, and once again, I'm trying to connect this to the fourth commandment. There are many tables, many tables outside, in which you'd have, back then they were called Apostolates. Today we call them ministries. Apostolates or ministries. You'd have the Charismatics and the Focalares and um, you'd have the Neocatechumens and the Legion of Mary. A lot of different apostolates and they were trying to promote their apostolic work, which was very beautiful, and giving literature and pamphlets, brochures. 
But what impressed me most, there was a, a man sitting in a wheelchair in front of the table with his literature. On the very top, he had the, the name of his apostolate, which was the apostolate, the apostolate of suffering. That's right, the Apostolate of Suffering. I was intrigued by this because I'd never heard of the Apostolate of Suffering. Legion Numeri, yes. The Neocatechumens, yes. The Charismatic Movement, yes. But the Apostolate of Suffering? I never heard of that before. So I approached the man and I... I engaged him in conversation, wanted to know what is what is this whole idea, the apostate of suffering. And the man was a relatively young man sitting in a wheelchair. And apparently what happened to him, he had gotten in an accident and he was paralyzed. He could no longer walk. So he was limited in his mobility. So through prayer and discernment, he decided that he would start a new apostolate. What was his apostolate? He called it the apostolate of suffering. I'm very intrigued with this. Now I said, what do you mean by the apostate of suffering? Well, he said, see, I had this accident, you know, I'm in the wheelchair and I'm suffering. But I decided to use my suffering, unite my suffering, unite my accident, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For the salvation and redemption of the world. As St. Paul says, we fill up what is lacking in the passion of Christ. We fill up what is lacking in the passion of Christ. And it dawned on me this is something very important. And I was thinking what I had studied my first year in the university. I had done a <coughs> course on comparative religions. A course on comparative religions. And in all the different world religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, Shintoism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism, Islamism, Judaism, only one religion gave a positive interpretation to suffering. And it happened to be Catholicism. Catholicism. In which suffering in and of itself, my friends, suffering in and of itself, it's neither positive nor negative. Rather, it all depends on what we do with our suffering. Because suffering can either make you better or bitter. That's right. Suffering can either make you better or bitter. Better or bitter. That's right. Better or bitter. So this man decided he would offer <coughs> up his suffering for the conversion of sinners as well as for the church at large.
So that's the point I'd like to make with respect to the fourth commandment, the obligation of children toward their parents. Is children are called to love their parents, they're called to obey their parents, they're called to respect their parents, they're called to support their parents in the latter years when the parents are elderly and suffering. They're called to support the parents materially and spiritually and to be with them in their moments of loneliness. Now, we're not finished. What about this? When your father or your mother passes away, does that mean your relationship with your deceased father terminates? It ends with the death of your mother, your father? Not at all. Not at all. Your obligation with respect to the fourth commandment once your father or mother passes from this life to the next, should be first to provide a funeral mass for your mother or your father. I hear cases at times where someone dies who's a Catholic and the children just take their relative, okay, to a public cemetery and bury their father or your mother. That's good. That, 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 that's good in the sense that one of the corporal works of mercy is to give proper burial to the dead. <clears throat> That's true. To give proper burial to the dead. <clears throat> However, that's not enough. Burying your father in a public cemetery, fine. But children that really love their parents... Children that really love you, love their parents should do all they possibly can when their father or mother passes away. And that means to pro procure and provide for a funeral mass to be celebrated for your loved one. Try to apply the golden rule to yourself. Now, when you die, only, know, only God knows when we're going to die. We're, we're in God's hands. When you die, wouldn't you want to have a funeral mass? Would you not want to have a funeral mass? Of course you would. This is called the golden rule. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Do to others what you want them to do to you. Not only to have the priest celebrating the mass... But I, with Father Craig and Father Dave, we do funeral masses almost every week. Many of my friends 
We're talking about the fourth commandment now. To honor and respect your mother, your father. <coughs> there are funeral masses, my friends, where you have the body present or maybe the ashes because cremation is a possibility. You can do that if the remains will be buried in the cemetery. However, there are masses where the priest is celebrating the mass and there's no participation whatsoever. And the moment in which the priest is giving out Holy Communion, sometimes there's barely anyone who comes up to receive Holy Communion for the deceased relative. The other side of the coin, my friends, the other side of the coin is there are funeral masses which the church is full and long lines of relatives and friends come up fervently and receive Holy Communion. And of course, receive a communion. The intention of communion would be for the loved one. Your father. So that if your father is detained in purgatory, that by the Mass offered by the priest and by the fervent by the fervent participation of the people in the Mass, that if your father has has to spend time in purgatory, that through the priest or officiating and you participating, he will have access to heaven as soon as possible. And I try to apply this to what's the golden rule, do to others what you want them to do to you. Do to others what you want them to do to you. This is called the golden rule. This, my friends, is the whole extent of the fourth commandment is that after our father or mother has passed away, we don't push them into oblivion in which we just forget about them. No. Then another good practice is this. When I do a funeral mass, I will often say this. Starting right now, I will offer a novena. I will offer a novena for the person that's just passed away. Whether I know the person or not. Now I'm thinking. No, I think you know what a novena is. What's a novena? Novena. Novena refers to nine, nine consecutive days, in which I will be offering a secondary intention in my mass for that person that passed away. What does that mean? Starting on the day of the funeral, I'm praying for the dead one. But the, the following eight days, when I celebrate Mass, my secondary intention for the Mass will be for the 
release of this dead person from purgatory if the person has not already arrived at heaven. Now, in my funeral mass and my homily, I'll often say this. I'm going to start the novena. Why did you join me? Starting today, let's make a novena for your father, your husband. And you can do it in various ways. You can come to church every day for nine days and receive communion for your father. What a beautiful gift. My friends, this is the fourth commandment. To honor and respect your parents living or deceased. <clears throat> living or deceased, that's right. Now, if it would be impossible for you to go to Mass every day for nine days, then there's another way in which you can carry out this novena. In what way? Have families come together every day for nine days. Not simply to socialize. Sometimes people just come together to have a beer and to have a taco and to uh, just to come together to socialize. Not to say that that's wrong, but rather to come together to pray, to pray the rosary and the to pray the rosary and the chaplet of divine mercy. Nine days in a row. Now if you want to if you want to go all out you want to go all out in your love for your father who's passed away then why don't you do both? <coughs> go to Mass in the morning Offer communion for your father. Then 7, 7.30 in the evening when people are finished their work to come together in a family setting or maybe today because of the pandemic by means of Zoom, by means of the internet screen, Zoom, then you can pray the rosary electronically or if you can come together and offer this for your father who's passed away. My friends, this is true love. This is true love. The angelic doctor St. Thomas Aquinas, he defines love as such. Love or charity is willing the good of the other. It's willing the good of the other. What is the greatest good we can will for our father or our mother? It is their eternal salvation. For mom and dad to go to heaven, nothing greater, nothing more important than that. So my friends, I hope that the, these presentations are helping you out because I've given you two programs on the fourth commandment and I really haven't arrived at the second part of it. 
The first part I've been going through the past couple of days is the obligation of children toward their parents. The other side of the coin is the obligation of parents toward their children. And we can develop that on a, in a future talk. So my friends, it's great to be with you. And I'd like to end by giving you and your loved ones and those who have passed away my priestly blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God bless all of you and your family members.